good morning. Delighted to be back with you in the pulpit again this morning. A couple things want to uh, just let you know about. First of all, next Sunday is uh, Baptism Sunday. At the end of the service, we're going to baptize a few people. Uh, if you'd like to be among them, uh, let me know, and we'll get together and chat this week about baptism and uh, what it means and why do it and all that kind of thing. Uh, also, uh, if you got an email this week, I hope everybody got it. If you didn't, uh, check with Chrissy in the office and make sure you're on our email list. But uh, the Gorilla family had asked us to help them move some things out of a storage unit, and that is done at this point. That task is done, and so you do not need to show up at 3 this afternoon to help with that because it got done yesterday. Uh, there were some folks who just decided they were going to uh, be adventurous and uh, go ahead and do it without us, which is fine, and we're grateful for that. So uh, with that, why don't I pray, and then we'll open God's Word together. God, our Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful that one day when we stand in glory, uh, we will tell the story, uh, not of us and how we earned our way there, but how you reconciled sinful people to a holy God. The question of the Bible is not how can a loving God send people to hell, but how can a holy God save sinners? And Father, we are recipients of your mercy. And we do not deserve to be in relationship with you, and yet out of your great and manifold love, you have sent the Son into the world to be the Savior, to offer life to those who are dead, to offer forgiveness to those who deserve punishment, to give an inheritance to those who have no claim on your riches. And Father, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your manifold mercy and love. And we ask, Father, as we open your word this morning, that you would cause it to come alive in our hearts, that we might be changed by it, that we might proclaim it widely to those that we know who don't know you yet, and that the world might be uh, transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, operating through your word uh, to bring new life to people. And Father, we ask your, your blessing on our service here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. It's a very encouraging passage of Scripture. Uh, before I read you the text, since it's been a couple of weeks since I have uh, been with you, let me give you a little background on where we are in the Gospel of John uh, Jesus and his disciples are at the Last Supper. It's Thursday night before his arrest and crucifixion. In fact, this passage takes place no more than a couple of hours before Jesus is arrested and uh, taken to trial. And then in the morning, he'll be crucified about 9 a.m. Uh, he'll be crucified. And so this is within the very last day of Jesus' life. You know, John gives you big chunks uh, up to the very last night of Jesus' life, and then it slows down, and you watch the rest of the movie in slow motion uh, through the Gospel of John. And so he has just told them, uh, in the immediate context, he has just told them 
that he is going away to a place that they cannot follow. He says, I'm going away to a place that you can't follow. Uh, Judas has just left to go and betray him. Peter has just made his grandiose announcement that he says, I'll go wherever you can go, Jesus. I'm going with you, even if I have to die with you. And Jesus has to sadly tell him that while that will one day happen, that he will die for Jesus' sake. That in fact, on this very night, he's going to disown Jesus and deny knowing him three times before the rooster crows the next morning. And then, here in John 14, we get these marvelous words of encouragement. Uh, and so I want to open the text there with you. Uh, John chapter 14, beginning verse 1. Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Look at verse 1 again. It begins with this great phrase. You ought to underline it, highlight it, put lightning bolts around it in your Bible. It's this great phrase, let not your hearts be troubled. This is a, a good word from Jesus right there. Because at that very moment, they are deeply troubled. And by the way, men and women, if you came here today with a troubled heart, this word is for you too. Let not your hearts be be troubled. And then he tells them how it's possible to possess an untroubled heart. And it begins with a properly directed faith. First faith in God, the Father, and then also in Jesus himself. And here in verse 2, Jesus explains where he's going and what he is doing there. Where is he going? He's going back to the Father's house. What's he doing there? Preparing a place for you. Preparing a place for you. Now, you may not know this, but this is Jewish wedding imagery. In a, in, a Jew, in a Jewish culture, I understand this, this is still the custom in parts of the world today, in Jew, but in Jewish custom, when you got married, what happened is this, is that the bride and the groom would meet and they would uh, build their relationship a little bit and then they would be a betrothal. Uh, so it's more serious than an engagement because to break this, you have to get divorced legally. And there is a seal given of your relationship. By the way, what is the seal of our relationship with Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit that he is going to talk about giving them here in just a few verses. Paul calls it later in Ephesians uh, this, that, that we have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a serious thing. 
If you break this, you get the, the, the person that you break up with gets to keep the seal of your promise. By the way, is God divided? No. He cannot be. And so it, it is an unbreakable promise when he gives us the Holy Spirit as the seal of his promise relationship. And then what would happen is, after, this, after these promises are made and this betrothal is instantiated, what would happen would be this. The groom would go away for a while, and then while he was there, he would build on to the Father's house a room for he and his bride to live in. And this seems maybe a little weird. Uh, in our culture, we don't have these generation houses. Like if you go out to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, you can see these generation houses, the Amish generation house, and you've just, you can almost see kind of the period in time when they built it because it like, looks different depending on who was the, made the original construction and then what the, the add-ons were. But you had within the father's house additional rooms. And every son, every Every member of the family who is going to have an inheritance in the father's house gets their own chambers added on. And eventually, as the family grew, you would get uh, actually rooms that went all the way around in a courtyard. And then you as a family would have communal fellowship in the courtyard, but then also private space within the father's house. And Jesus is saying, don't worry, in my father's house are many rooms. How many rooms are there? Well, considering there are at this point in history approximately 2 billion believers on earth alive today, I would say that's many, right? A lot, right? Considering that the church has existed for 2,000 years, and then prior to that there were also people looking forward to the coming of Messiah, uh, and that's several million more at a very minimum. How many rooms are in the Father's house? Enough. Right? And he says, and when your room is ready, I will come that you may be with me. That you may be with me. This is bridal imagery. Because when the room was done on the day that the Father set, what does this sound like? Acts chapter 1, right? On the day that the father set, the groom was sent back to claim his bride with a procession. And then he would carry her home with great fanfare. By the way, if you read the book of Revelation, there is a wedding. And then there is a marriage supper of the lamb that takes place. It's an amazing thing, right? And Jesus is telling them, look, you all are the bride and I am the groom and I'm going to go away to get your place to where I live ready. And then I'm going to come back and get you and we're going to be together forever. It's a great promise. It's an encouraging word from the Lord. Paul picks up that image again in Ephesians chapter 5. This is shot through your New Testament. That we are the bride, that he is the groom, he is our husband, if you will, and he wants to be with us forever. In fact, a human marriage is just meant to be a reflection of the relationship that God has with his people. Where there's a self-sacrificial groom and a loving, following bride. 
that together pursue a relationship together and honor God. And Jesus gives us some further encouragement there in verses 4 through 7. If you look, you'll see that Jesus tells them that they already know the way to the Father's house. And Thomas, you know, is kind of scratching his head going, I don't even know where you're going. How do I, what do you mean I already know the way? There's no Google Maps. What are you talking about? Right? I don't know the way. What's Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except for me. That's an important verse. It would be a good verse for you to memorize, by the way. If you're looking for some Scripture memory to build into your life, that verse would be a good one to memorize. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is emphasizing that He is the only way into a relationship with God. There are not... Contrary to what is popular in our world today, there are not multiple roads up the mountain. There is one way into the presence of God. There is one way to have relationship with God. There is one way to be forgiven by God for all that you have done that is displeasing to God. And it is through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the source of truth. There are not multiple truths out there. By the way, if somebody gives you the personal uh, possessive pronoun on truth, okay, and they say, well, my truth is, okay, what they have just given you is their opinion, okay, and it may be true for them, but it's still just their opinion, it's just their opinion. Jesus says, I'm not giving you my opinion, I'm giving you the truth. And the truth is defined by a person, by the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that He says is true. Everything that He does aligns with truth because He is the fountainhead and source of all truth that there is in the universe. And truth is that which reflects His view of things, not some other. And so He says He is the truth and He is the life. There is only life in Jesus or there is death in anything else. That's it. He is the dividing line. And I know that's not politically correct. Jesus wasn't politically correct in his own day. He's for sure not politically correct in ours. All right? He had, he had views that cut cross-grain with religious people. How much more with the irreligious people of our culture, right? And he is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to come into God's presence, there is one way to do it. It is through faith in me. And, because, and why is he telling them that, by the way? Because these are his friends. These are the people who believe in him. And he is trying to reassure them that they are not stupid for having so done. Right? Because he knows that within the next 20 hours of his life, he is going to go to the cross, that he is going to die, he's going to be publicly humiliated and shamed, and they're all going to think, I was an idiot! Forever following Jesus. 
And he is reassuring them in advance of all this stuff happening. No, no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, you are not stupid. You are the wisest people on earth if you would put your trust in me, even in these circumstances that you're about to see. He is giving them reassurance that in him is life. That in him is truth. In him is forgiveness. In him is the way to the Father's house that he has promised them. He is the only person through whom you can come to get to live in the Father's house. And there are many rooms. In other words, it's not just a few people who are going to get in. It's an exclusive claim but it's a wide mercy. Amen? There's one way, there's one front door, and you've got to come through Him. But, we'll open the door to anybody who puts their trust in Jesus and allows Him to change their life. To know Him is to know the Father also. Look at that. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, that's some deep theological water. This is going to take you out past where you can swim, okay? But we're going to read it and see what Jesus means by that. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, like so many of us, Philip is confused, all right? Anybody else confused about what Jesus says here? All right, raise your hand. Okay, he hasn't seen God the Father as far as he knows, and yet Jesus has just told him in verse 7 that Philip had seen him and knows him. And so he's like, Jesus, how does that work? Explain that. And Jesus' explanation is that To see him is to see the Father because the Father exists in him and he exists in the Father in personal union. Now let me lay a theological term on you, okay? This is is a Greek word. uh, It's called parakoresis. And it refers to the mutual indwelling of the members of the Godhead within each other. Just as... God the Holy Spirit indwells you as a believer, so the Father, Son, and Spirit mutually indwell each other. And they do it in such a way that there is one God, 
who eternally exists in three distinct persons. So the, the, in the mutual indwelling of the persons of God, there is a distinction in person that remains eternal, but there is no confusion between the persons either, where they don't, they're not interchangeable, right? So when we pray, we pray to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We thank the Son for dying on the cross for us. We ask the Father to do His will and we are empowered in our prayer by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus is explaining the Trinity to them and to us. And He is telling them, look, I am in the Father and He is in me that we are one. We are united the closest we can get to this in human terms is when people get married. And we tell people the two have become one. And there is a sense in, in, in which as a couple gets married, they do become one in the same way that God is. That there is a, a mutual connection between the two of them that happens. And, but that's finite and limited. And it only, it, it kind of is a shadow, an approximation of what God is in an infinite and a personal way and an eternal way. But he says, look, so in other words, to see me is to see the Father, to see what the Father is like. If you've seen me, you've seen exactly what the Father is, that he is just like me. We share the same attributes and He indwells me and I indwell Him. Now, Jesus gives us some help. Verse 11. He says, if you have trouble with this, let me paraphrase here. If you have trouble understanding this, then believe who I am based on the works that I've done. In other words, if you don't understand all the ways in which God, the Father is God and I am God, understand the works that I have done prove that I am God. <laughs> okay, that's what he's telling us in verse 11. If you can't get your arms around this, and by the way, I can explain it better than I can understand it. If that makes sense, right? I can tell you what it is and what it isn't, but then you, you go, well, how can that be? And I go, what the word says and I believe what God has said in his word how does it work I don't know there's real mystery around surrounding the personhood and unity of God real mystery things that are shrouded in secret that we cannot get our brain around and by the way it would bother me a lot more if I could completely understand God than the fact that I can't Right? Because he is not simply a projection of my psyche, you know, like some kind of an elevated version of myself. The real God that exists is beyond what we can really understand. But we can kind of explain a little bit what he's like. But don't miss, by the way, why this is given this theological truth that we're given is not just given to make us smarter. It's given to Jesus' followers at the moment that they are going to need encouragement most. 
Within the next few hours, they're going to see Jesus arrested. Within the next 20 hours, Jesus will be dead and buried. And the natural question that will arise in their minds, as I said earlier, is, am I a fool for having believed in Jesus? In light of what I've just seen Jesus have happened to him, am I a fool for believing in, in him? And what Jesus is telling them in advance is this. When you see these things happen, remember this, you're not a fool. The works that I've done prove that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And the promise that I've just made to you about going to a place where the Father dwells and making a place for you also is going to come true. Don't turn away from the faith. And by the way, have you ever needed this kind of encouragement? Have you ever thought to yourself, following Jesus is a fool's errand? Like the time I worked at a lumber company, and, and apparently the guys that I worked with thought I was dumber than I am. And they went, hey, go get me a board stretcher. <laughs> Cut this board off too short. Go get me a board stretcher. I'm like, a what? And they're like, you know, a board stretcher, something to make it longer. I'm like, you're an idiot, or you think I am, right? <laughs> There's no such thing, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes we can think in our heart of hearts because of the way our life is going. Man, following Jesus is not working out like I thought. Am I a fool for doing this? And Jesus is here telling you that you're not. In the Father's house are many rooms, and He is there preparing a place for you and for me. How do I know? Because His works prove who He is. His works prove who He is. That He is indwelt by the Father, and the Father likewise indwells Him. And if we need further proof, we get further proof in verse 12 to 14. How do we know that Jesus is who he claims to be? Because those who follow him will do his works and even greater things than he has done, and he will personally answer their prayers. That's what verses 12 to 14 tell us. Now let me ask you a question some of you might have. How is it that Jesus' followers will do greater things than he did? It is not that they will do greater things in quality, but they do greater things in quantity. Amen? Then Jesus himself did. Jesus had a confined ministry. At most, he ever, only ever ministered in his earthly ministry to a few thousand people over a very small geographical area over one country. Where does Jesus minister today? In 190 countries, in most of the world's languages, among most of the world's tribes and people. Now, there's a few isolated groups and, and languages and people we haven't got to yet, but where does Jesus minister? Everywhere. Everywhere. And by the way, are Jesus' works still being done everywhere? Yes, they are. Because through faith in Jesus, people's lives are transformed. There are still miracles that occur. I don't have time to go into all the details on that. 
But there are still miracles that occur in, all, in the lives of, of Jesus' people and places where he is proclaimed all over the world. And don't forget the greatest miracle that he does of all, which is saving wicked sinners who deserve to go to hell from that fate and making them God's children. That happens every day. In fact, around the world about 26,000 times every day that someone becomes a new follower of Jesus Christ. The miracles of Jesus are ongoing. The ministry of Jesus is greater far than he personally extended in his own day. Jesus' word has come true. You can look at the history of the church for 2,000 years and see it. So by the way, has Jesus given us evidence that he, his promises are true? Yes. He did a lot of miracles in his own life. He was raised from the dead. He continues to do miracles through his people all over the world and has for 2,000 years. Can we trust that his other promises about going away to make a, make a place in the Father's house for us are true? Yes. Can we believe who he is, who he claims to be, based on what he has done? Yes. So let me just apply this text to us in two ways. Number one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. And He has proved it in His works both then and now. I'm not naive enough to believe that even in a room this size, uh, among people who have most of them attended this church for a long time, that everyone in here is in fact a regenerate believer in Jesus Christ. Some of you may have baked the rest of us out and imitated the, the language and patterns of behavior of someone who authentically knows Christ. But the Holy Spirit may be speaking to your heart right now and saying to you, you need to put your trust in Jesus. And if he is, don't wait another minute to do that. Put your trust in Jesus because he is the only doorway into the Father's house. Amen? And then secondly, if you already know him today, such an encouraging word for you, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. The struggles and troubles of this world are temporary. They're temporary. Following Jesus, on the other hand, is completely worth it. Jesus is with the Father right now preparing a place for you and he has proven his identity over and over and over and over in answered prayer in the miracles he did in his earthly ministry and the miracles he is still doing through his people by the holy spirit all over the world today he's proven his identity 
And given that these things are true, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be in turmoil. Don't have to worry. You know, we, we have political drama in our country right now as if, as if this is the ultimate battle for what really matters and will last forever. It won't. It won't. Whatever the outcome, won't be permanent. We have pains and struggles and illnesses and difficulties. Some of us will die in the next maybe few years. Some of us will be gone. And we're going to, it's a long struggle to get to that point. But don't let your heart be troubled because it's not permanent, it's not ultimate. Ultimately, we are going home to the Father's house. Ultimately, we're going to wake up in the land of glory. Amen. And with the saints, we're going to tell our story. And we're going to shout praise to Jesus Christ who has done it all. And so I don't need to be worried. I don't need to be troubled. I don't need to have my, my soul in an uproar and eat Tums like M&Ms. I don't need to do that right? Because Jesus is preparing a place for you and for me as we trust in Him. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your promises. I thank You that we can be at peace when we trust in You. And Father, uh, we give You praise for the reality that Jesus is who He claims to be. And whatever we experience in this life will be worth it when we see Him. And we dwell with You forever in, the, in Your house. In the place that He has made for us there. Father, we look forward to that day. Help us not to be troubled in the meantime. In Jesus' name, Amen.